history, according to Luke 12, part 3. Spoken by Pastor Clayton Chan. In college, I majored in economics. Now, some of you guys may say that's a useless major. Uh, it's not really practical, especially in trying to get a job. But I say economics is a part of life. My first lesson in economics was, happened at the age, around the age of five. It was 1989, and this revolutionary invention took over the country, the Nintendo Game Boy. Right? How many of you guys remember that beautiful green screen that would pop up when you turned it on? It was the first major handheld video game console to, to reach the market. I still remember the day that I received mine. So I was at school. My parents picked my brother and I up, and they handed us this machine, this magnificent machine. And from then, we played hours and hours on it. And the only thing that kept us off of it was each other. So lesson number one in economics, supply and demand. One Game Boy, two spoiled brats. And so as you can imagine, we'd play hours and hours, and then when we'd start fighting over it, my mom, the shrewd parent that she is, did the only fair thing. She took it away. So lesson number two, ownership. I own nothing. My mom owns everything. Right? She giveth and taketh away. And so I quickly realized that everything that I had wasn't really mine. And she could take it at any moment. Today, God wants to teach us a very similar lesson. We do not own anything but God owns everything. And that may sound depressing for some to think that everything that we've worked towards and worked for is not ours. It may be distressing, but in actuality, it is good news. To know that God owns everything is good news. And so today, we're going to learn about biblical stewardship, asking ourselves the question, what does it mean to be a faithful steward? Because I believe that once we learn that, it will be freeing, empowering, and life-giving. So we're going to ask ourselves the question, what does it mean to be a faithful steward? And to begin, we're going to, uh, there's a lot of uh, text that we're going to be covering today. So we're just going to be taking a section by section, starting with Luke chapter 12, verse 22. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 12, verse 22. If not, then you could always look on the screen. Verse 22. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things. And your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. 
Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Last week, Pastor Sunita reminded us that we have more to live for than just things. In our pursuit for accumulating wealth, have we lost sight of what it means to be rich in God? Jesus tells us that accumulating wealth is pointless because in the very end, all these earthly things will perish one day. And instead, we are to invest in what lasts, invest in what is eternal. Jesus' words here are a continuation of that conversation. And that's why in verse 22, it begins, therefore. Oftentimes, whenever Jesus lays down this truth, he follows it up with these words, therefore. He's indicating, here are your action steps or what at Metro we like to call the next steps, right? In light of what I've just told you, here is how you are to respond. And the truth that Jesus laid down that is pointless to store up treasures on earth is followed by the words, do not worry. Do not worry. Jesus knew that after he told the, cloud, uh, after he told the crowds to stop chasing after things, that the natural response would be to worry. Worrying is a normal part of life. We worry about everything. We worry about providing for our families, the safety of our kids. We worry about what we're going to eat. We worry about our finances, money. Some people worry about who their future spouse is going to be. Others worry about how they look or how they're presented before others. There's a million things that we worry about in a day. And the very reason why we worry so much is because as humans, we have limitations. We worry because we have no control, or at the very least, very little control over what happens in life. Right? Think about the things that you feel like you have control over. Your career, that can be taken from you in a moment. Think about your health. Our bodies are fragile, and in an instant, our bodies can betray us. Your kids, definitely not. How many times do our kids do the very opposite of what we ask of them? We have very little control. Yes, we think that we have freedom and, and the ability to make choices and decisions, and that's true. But in the grander scheme of things, we actually have very little control. Everything can be taken from us in a moment. And that's why life is filled with ups and downs. And sometimes we just have to roll with the punches. We would like to think that we are the masters of our own universe, but we're not. And God didn't create us to be. But the good news is that there is freedom in knowing that we're not in control. Jesus tells us that we have no reason to worry because although we may not be in control, he is. In verse 25, he says, Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Right, but then he goes on and says that we have no reason to worry because God is in control and out of his love for us, he will provide for us. And Jesus uses the example of a raven, a bird that was unclean, thought of as unworthy to be cared for by God. And yet God would care for it and provide for it. And then he goes on to a flower that is clothed far more lavishly than even Solomon, the greatest and wisest and wealthiest king in Israel's history. If God provides for these, how much more will he provide for us who are far more valuable? There is freedom in knowing this. 
It means that we can stop making decisions based on our worries and fears and instead on what God would desire. After graduating seminary, I was at a crossroads. I had been serving at this church that I loved for four years. And after graduating, they offered me this full-time position. But at, around that same time, the church hired this new senior pastor whose vision I just didn't agree with. There was nothing wrong with his vision, uh, but I just felt like, for me, I couldn't serve faithfully under him with the vision that he had. And so I, I was left debating whether I should stay there or find another job. But after thinking about it for a while, I started looking around, seeing what other positions there were, and then I found Metro. And I found out that Metro was uh, trying to hire a high school youth pastor, but that it would only be a half-time position. And so I debated, do I go with a full-time position or do I go with a half-time position? The choice was about if I take the full-time position, I wouldn't have to worry about my finances. I can live a safe and comfortable life financially. Or do I choose the half-time position, trusting in God that he would provide and knowing that this may be a better fit? Well, in the end, I chose to come to Metro, and here I am today. And it's one of the greatest decisions I've ever made because not only have I found community here in this church, but I've grown exponentially in this church. And I think the greatest reason, or the reason I will never regret my decision is because I actually met my wife here at this church. So thank you, Metro. Right? When we trust that God provides for us, we no longer have to make our decisions based on our fears and worries and could just be led where God wants to take us. And I promise you, that's a place of blessing. That's a place where God will do something tremendous in your life. The one who is in control is the one who loves us, and the one who loves us will provide for our needs. Do you believe that? Do you trust in God? Biblical stewardship is a matter of trust. It begins with acknowledging one simple truth. I own nothing. God owns everything. So I want you to take a moment, turn to your neighbor and say, I own nothing. God owns everything. Good, good. Now that we all established that, when we have come to realize that we own nothing but God owns everything, we understand that everything that we have has been entrusted to us. We recognize that God is the owner and he's given us resources, talents, gifts, opportunities to be, res to be responsible over. Yes, we have responsibilities. With stewardship comes purpose. As managers and administrators of God's gifts, we have a greater purpose. As God's stewards, we are to use our gifts, talents, opportunities, finances, resources for God's kingdom. Jesus says in verse 23, For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. There's more to life than just chasing after things. And yet, we trick ourselves into thinking that by having more, we will, have, we will be happier people. But to be honest, those things that give us happiness are short-lived. We were created for much, much more. We were created with a purpose. We have a desire in us to make our lives matter, to make a difference. Our purpose as Christ's disciples is to bring healing to the broken, to stand up against the oppressed, and to bring hope into a hopeless situation. We get to do that. God has given us the opportunity to do that using our resources, gifts, and, and, and talents. 
Biblical stewardship is more than just about how we spend our money. Biblical stewardship deals with how we view God's grace in our lives. It's about seeing everything that we have and have been given and asking us, how can we further the good news of Jesus? What would it look like to live out this biblical truth? How would knowing that God owns everything shift the way we live and think? How would it change the way we view how we spend our money? How would it change the way we view our talents and gifts? How would it change the way we look at our responsibilities and time? Biblical stewardship requires a shift in perspective. It requires us to look at what we have, not as our own, but what's been entrusted to us. We don't own anything. God owns everything. So what are we supposed to do with this? What does it mean to live as a faithful steward? Well, I have three questions to help us consider this question, to help us figure out what it means to live as a faithful steward. So three questions. First, stop asking, how much do I give? Start asking, how much do I keep? When it comes to stewardship, our default question is, how much do I give? But in asking that question, we're saying that all that I have is mine, and I get to decide how much of it to give away. But biblical steward asked, stewardship asks the question, how much do I keep? Asking this question keeps the focus on God as the provider and helps us to be more generous. Starting with verse 31, Jesus says, but seek his kingdom and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. You notice that before he gives the crowd their marching orders to seek out the kingdom, he once again reestablishes that he is the good provider. He says, these things will be given to you. And then do not be afraid, referring to the crowd as a flock, establishing himself as a good shepherd who cares for his sheep. Church, do you understand how much God cares for you? Do you believe that God loves you more than words can express? Do you honestly trust him? If so, then you have nothing to worry about and you can focus on furthering God's kingdom, resisting the urge to find security in things and instead investing in what is eternal. Instead, you can start to be generous. When we ask the question, how much do I give? It's assuming that we have a right to it. When we ask the question, how much do I keep? It's saying we have a responsibility over the things that have been given to us. Owners have rights. Stewards have responsibilities. When we look at the financial resources that have been given to us and we see them as a responsibility, then money stops having a hook in our lives. And instead, we can start being generous and live out this kingdom purpose. Life is about seeking God's kingdom. Working and worrying about how our needs will be provided for keeps us from living an abundant life. So many of us are stuck in a job that we hate only because it provides for our needs. So many of us are resisting God's call in our lives because we're so focused on preparing for our retirement. We invest for our lives here on earth, but God is asking you to invest in what lasts for eternity. He's asking you to invest in people over things. He's asking you to be bold in your faith and to follow his lead. When Jesus says the word, sell your possessions and give to the poor, what's your reaction? 
Sometimes in the Bible there's confusion. Yes, at times Jesus speaks in riddles and parables, but here it's very clear. He says, sell your possessions and give to the poor. But what's your answer? Now, I don't believe that every single Christian should sell everything and give to the poor because then we would all end up poor. And who do we have to give to the poor? But I do believe that we have to take this this statement seriously. We have to ask ourselves honestly, will we be able to give up everything to further God's kingdom? If Jesus said, sell your possessions and give to the poor, would we do it? Many of us, if not all of us, would say no. But what's the reason? Is it because God isn't calling us to do that? Or is it because we don't want to do that? As a steward, we have to start asking ourselves the question, how much of what God has given me does he want me to keep? The second question that we have to consider, stop asking who is called to serve. Start asking, who am I called to serve? After telling his disciples not to worry about their needs, Jesus moves the conversation to watchfulness. And starting in verse 35, he says, Be dressed ready for service and keep your lamps burning, like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet, so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will dress himself to serve, will have them recline at the table, and will come and wait on them. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the middle of the night or toward daybreak. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Peter asked, Lord, are you telling this parable to us or to everyone? The Lord answered, who then is the faithful and wise manager, whom the master put in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time? It will be good for the servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose the servant says to himself, my master is taking a long time in coming and then begins to beat the other servants, both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of the servant will come on a day when he doesn't expect him in an hour he is not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. The servant who knows the master's will and does not get ready or does not do what the master wants will be beaten with many blows. But the one who does not know and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with few blows. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. Jesus instructs his disciples to be ready And then moves into these parables. In the first, he tells us that there are servants waiting for the master to return from his wedding banquet. And because they were faithful in waiting, the master rewards them. He goes and switches it so that he is the one who serves them. And then the second one contrasts what we just heard. It's of a thief who comes at night and is able to steal because the owner is not ready or prepared. The results of the parables are different, but the message is the same. Be prepared, be ready, because Jesus is going to come again. The waiting that Jesus describes here isn't just a biding of one's time. 
the waiting that he describes is an active waiting for when Jesus will come again. Waiting is not to be passive. It's to be active. And yet we forget this. While we focus on our present lives here on earth, we forget that we have a future in heaven that we should be preparing for. If this life on earth were all that we had, then it would make sense to pursue comfort, possessions, and just security. If the end goal was to enjoy life and to experience everything that life had to offer, then it would make sense to do those things. But if heaven is a reality, then it flips the values of this world upside down. If we believe that Jesus will come again and that life with God in heaven is a future reality, then being faithful to God should become our highest priority. Serving others becomes of utmost importance. Pointing people to Jesus is not a option. It is the only option for how we are to live. And the, the apostle Peter understood this. And that's why he started to ask this question, Lord, are you telling this parable to us or to everyone? Peter wanted clarification because he knew what Jesus was asking, desired or needed full commitment. It was challenging. And this is the question that we often ask. Who are these words meant for? Is it for pastors, leaders, volunteers? Is it for the spiritually strong or is it for the new believer? Who is called to serve? And like Jesus does on many occasions, he answers Peter's question indirectly. He tells Peter, everyone is called to serve. But the best question or the better question to ask is, who are you called to serve? In his response, Jesus first tells of a faithful servant who's been put in charge of all the other servants. And because of his faithfulness, he is rewarded and given more responsibility. But then he gives these three different scenarios. The master puts in charge the manager over the, over the other servants, and, choose, and the master chooses to do the opposite, or the manager chooses to do the opposite. The second, the manager knows what the master wants, but is lazy and doesn't do it. And the third, the manager doesn't know what the master wants, and so does what is evil. His parable illustrates that we have all been called to care for others, and that one day we will be held accountable for how we live out that calling. Stewardship is being faithful to the opportunities that God gives us to love and care for others. Who is God calling you to serve today? Who has God put under your care and entrusted to you? Is it your wife, your husband, a child? Is it a parent? But it doesn't just end with our families. We are far more connected than we would ever think. Is it a coworker or neighbor or a boss that God is asking you to minister to? Or even here at Metro, is God calling you to serve here at Metro, to serve the kids through our student ministries, to serve a newcomer by being a friendly face on Frontline? Or maybe it's through communication. Maybe you have a gift at communicating and you want to join media team to serve the church. Everywhere we look, we have opportunities to serve. But are you slowing down to pay attention to the people that God is placing in your life? Being a good steward is to see who God has entrusted to us to serve and to care for. Before becoming a pastor, I worked a couple of years as a teacher. 
uh, I joined this program called New York City Teaching Fellows. And so for two years, I taught middle school math at IS-227, Louis Armstrong Middle School. And it was a two-year commitment, but the first year was really, really tough for me. I was thrown into teaching with only a summer of field work, so I didn't really know what I was doing. But the second reason it was really tough was because I felt like I was supposed to do something else. I felt like I was called to go into ministry, and I was like dying to go to ministry. I wanted to be a pastor. I wanted to serve. I wanted to start doing ministry already. So after the first two months, I, almost, I wrestled with the decision of whether I quit or not. But God showed me something through that experience. I thought that I had to be a pastor to work at a church to serve. But what God was teaching me was, wherever you are, you are called to serve. And so my ministry ground became the students of IS-227. They would come to me during their free periods and just start asking questions or advice on things. I would eat lunch daily with them, and they would just start opening up their, their lives and sharing their stories with me. And it became really apparent that God had called me to these students at this time when one of my students came to me in the morning. Before homeroom started, this, this girl comes to me and just needed to talk. But I knew something was wrong because she came and no words would come out. And so I started asking, like, are you okay? Like, what's going on? What's up? And then she just started showing me her arms. And you could see the cut marks from her cutting herself. She needed somebody to listen to her. She needed somebody to listen to her pain. And I honestly, I didn't know what words to say. I didn't know how to encourage her. The only thing I knew how to do was just sit there and be present with her. You don't need to be a pastor to serve. You don't need to be a leader in the church or a deacon. All you need is to be present. Open your eyes and you will see people who God is placing in your life to care for. Who is God calling you to serve today? Who has God entrusted to you that you may be overlooking? Being a faithful steward is, ask the quest, is to ask the question, who am I called to serve? And the third question to consider in faithful stewardship. Stop asking what is immediate. Start asking what is urgent. In setting our priorities, what is immediate is not always what is urgent. We set our priorities for the day depending on what comes first instead of evaluating what is most important. We can be faithful stewards by shifting our perspective on how we use our time. Faithful stewardship is prioritizing what matters. In verse 49, Jesus says, I have come to bring fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo, and what, con what constraint I am under until it is completed. Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other, three against two and two against three. They will be divided father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. These words of Jesus are hard to swallow. We like the nice Jesus, the happy Jesus, the one that says, I love you and I have come to bring peace. But here in this passage, Jesus seems to be doing the opposite. He's saying, I have come to bring fire and division. And this fire that Jesus speaks of is one of judgment and purification. We will be judged by how we respond to Jesus. 
We must decide where we stand before God. Jesus knows that the choice we have today, whether to follow him or not, is a divisive one. Either we stand with God or against God. There's no middle ground. The choice is one of priorities. Is Jesus the most important person in your life, even more important than your family? Jesus doesn't want to divide families, but he uses the closest and most meaningful relationships to show us that he must come first. Your decision to follow Jesus may alienate you from others. People may not understand the choices you make based on your relationship with Jesus. When I told my dad that I wanted to be a pastor and to go into ministry, he wouldn't accept it. And that was hard for me. All I wanted was for him to be proud of me. All I wanted was his support. All I wanted was him to be pleased with my decisions. But that didn't happen. Instead, I got, why would you do that? Why would you become a pastor? You're so much, you're capable of so much more. Why would you choose to do that? When we choose to follow Jesus, there may be division because kingdom values is different from worldly values. My dad wanted me to have a nice paying job, a more prestigious job. But my decision to follow Jesus was far different from that. Thankfully, years later, he was able to come around and tell me how he supported my decision. But following Jesus means that we have to put him first above everything else, even the most important relationships in our lives. Stewardship is a matter of priorities, and that goes beyond relationships. Right? In verse 54, Jesus says, When you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately you say, it's going to rain, and it does. And when the south wind blows, you say, it's going to be hot, and it is. Hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky. How is it that you don't know how to interpret this present time? Why don't you judge for yourselves what is right? As you are going with your adversary to the magistrate, try hard to be reconciled on the way, on, or your adversary may drag you off to the judge, and the judge turn you over to the officer, and the officer throw you into prison. I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. In Judea, Samaria, and Galilee, weather was controlled by the Mediterranean Sea on the west and the desert in the south. And so when people would see a cloud coming from the west, they knew it was going to rain. And when they saw the winds blow up from the south, they knew it was going to be hot. And so Jesus acknowledges their ability to predict the weather. But he rebukes them for focusing on the wrong thing. He calls the people hypocrites because they're able to discern the weather, but they pay no attention to the coming judgment. Jesus is telling the crowd that he has come to bring an opportunity to be reconciled to the Father. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And he's saying, if you follow me, you will have new life. If you follow me, you'll be reconciled to the Father. Your sins will be forgiven. But the crowd wasn't paying attention. Listening to Jesus' warning forces us to look at ourselves what is it that we are paying close attention to? And what is it that we are neglecting? Is it your marriage, your children, your own health? Is it your relationship with God? What has suffered as a result of misplaced focus of attention? A good indication would be to look at how you spend your time. 
Where do you find yourself spending most of your time? Does what you value align with kingdom values or does it align with the worldly values? Being a faithful steward is about using our time wisely and prioritizing what matters. A couple of months ago, our youth group went on a missions trip to Milwaukee, Wisconsin. It was one of the best trips that I've been to, uh, only because not only were we able to serve the community there, but we were also able to hear about what God was doing through the ministries that we were partnering up with. And so we heard a lot of different stories, a lot of different ministries, but there's one story that I will never forget. There is a ministry in Wisconsin called Adalum Outreach, and their mission is to bring uh, physical or to, to provide the physical needs and spiritual needs of that community. And that ministry resides in one of the poorest cities in the United States. It resides in an area where the infant mortality rate is that of a third world country. And so this man, Steve, who started this ministry, he started sharing his story with us. Steve was in IT. He had this cushy, comfortable job. But he also had this fascination, this weird fascination with warehouses. And so he figured, well, I have a passion for warehouses. I love God. Let me just mix them together and start this ministry. And so he started looking for different warehouses to start this ministry. And eventually he found one. And so he started gathering all these people to come alongside him to help him get it off the ground. And then he went to the, and he found out that the owners of this warehouse were actually trying to sell it. So after gathering people, he went over to the owners and asked them if, they, if he could buy it. And so he started gathering, he started talking to them, all these things started happening. And then one day he said that he heard these words that shook him. He was sitting in church and his pastor said these words. God-sized plans leave room for God to work. If the task is too simple or easy for you to do on your own, then it doesn't require faith. And so with that, he knew what he needed to do. He knew that God was calling him to quit his job, but he struggled with that decision. He struggled because that job enabled him to support his wife and eight kids. And so he was like, I love God, I want to do this ministry, but I also have to support my family. But in the end, God's vision for him and what he wanted to do won out. And so he, be, and so he quit his job and moved forward in this warehouse project. But soon after he moved forward in this warehouse project, everyone that he had gathered left him. Once they found out that he didn't have the income to buy the warehouse, nobody wanted to be part of it. But the whole time, God did not leave him. And God provided for him. And so he went to the, the owners and said, hey, I can't afford it. I don't have a job anymore. I don't have an income. I can't buy this warehouse. A couple of months later, they come back to him and say, hey, do you want to rent it out? Once again, he's like, I don't have the income. I can't buy it. I can't even rent it out. And they say, well, we love your vision. We love what you want to do. We love the, that you want to bring transformation to this community. So we'll rent it out to you for a dollar a month. So for a whole year, he had this, uh, this 30,000 square foot warehouse for $12 a month. And now you would think that God's opening these doors and it would just be so easy. But the next thing, he tried to get a permit for occupancy in the building, but the city wouldn't give it to him. They said that the warehouse was so, uh, in such a terrible condition that nobody should be able to enter it. And so Steve was left thinking, what do I do now? And so with a box of donuts and a Bible, he just, stood, he just sat out outside of the warehouse on the streets, waiting for people to come around, offering them a donut and asking them if they'd be interested in reading the Bible. 
And so for months and months, he just did this. And so obstacle after obstacle, God had provided. And now looking at what the ministry is, it's a thriving ministry that has transformed that community. They house missionaries who, are, who come to work in Wisconsin. They have an after-school program to mentor and teach students. They even do job training. They realize that people need training and skills to get jobs, and so they started this furniture-making training so that people can start getting jobs. It's a, it's a house of prayer. And just think, it took one man's bold faith and trust in God to get this ministry started. Faithful stewardship is a matter of faith and trust in who God is as the good provider. Do you trust in Metro? Do you believe that he can give and provide every single one of your needs? If so, we are called to be faithful stewards by, by investing in the kingdom of God, by taking a look at the people around us and saying, who am I called to serve? And by prioritizing what matters, not what's immediate. Metro, you have a choice today. Will you be a faithful steward and allow God to lead you where he wants to take you? Let's pray.